Welcome to Leading Lights. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more information and resources. Hi there. I'd like to finish our series on the ties that bind us. We read a passage in Colossians chapter 2, which talks about us being nourished and knit together. I love that picture, being nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments. And we said that that word ligament is also used several other places in the New Testament to talk about these ties that bind us. And it speaks about the bond of peace, the bond of love, um, all these different ways that we are bound together as a family. We talked about human relationships, but also our relationship with God. We've spoken about the family aspect. We've spoken about love. Uh, we've spoken about having a task and a, and a purpose that binds us together. And today I want to close the series by talking about a threefold cord. I don't know if you remember at the start of the series, we read a passage from Ecclesiastes chapter four, which says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. So it speaks about two, all the benefits of being two together. And we've spoken about that over the last few weeks. But then the last sentence says, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. What is that threefold cord? Friend, it's talking about God getting involved to unite us. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. In the New International Version, it says, Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That word endeavoring means I must try but then it says the unity of the spirit. And this is the threefold cord. When you and I are united in purpose, in love, uh, in peace, uh, we are working to keep our relationships good. But then when we get God involved, there is something supernatural that happens. And a threefold cord is created that cannot be easily broken. In a marriage, when a husband and wife covenant together with God, he gets involved and a new power is introduced into that marriage. In any relationship, be it business, be it friendship, in any relationship, when you get God involved, there is some supernatural energy injected into that relationship. And this verse in Ephesians says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the threefold cord, the Holy Spirit's unity, keeping us together, in the bond of peace, and that word bond is the same word that was translated ligament in Colossians chapter 2, where it says we are nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments. The bond of peace in the unity of the Spirit. Let me read you a couple of beautiful passages that relate to this. The first is Psalm 133. He says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Brethren speaks of God's people, those of us who have the Holy Spirit in us. When we dwell in unity, the threefold cord, he says how good and how pleasant it is. I've loved getting together 
after lockdown with my brothers and sisters because there is a supernatural power released when we meet together in God's name. He goes on to say, it is like the precious oil upon the head. Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when we meet together, God pours out his Holy Spirit among us. He says that oil running is running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Aaron was the high priest. Jesus is our high priest, but the Bible says we are a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood. All Christians are priests. And when we get together, the oil is poured out. It pours down over the head and, and that's Jesus. And then onto the garments, onto the whole of the priest, the whole body, which is us, all the way down to the hem of the garments. Every person in those meetings is touched by the Holy Spirit when we get together with each other and with God, where we meet in Jesus' name. He says, then he is there in the midst of us. The, the threefold cord, the unity of the Spirit. It is a real thing. The presence of God in our meetings is a real and powerful thing. He goes on to say, it is like the dew of Hermon. Dew is the, the moisture that comes down at night and, and rests there in the morning. It's a, again a picture of the Holy Spirit, the rain, the water, the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. He says it's like the dew of Hermon. Hermon was a massive mountain in Israel, but he says it's descending upon the mountains of Zion. The mountains of Zion were small mountains. He says it's as if all the dew from that huge Mount Hermon is going to land on tiny Mount Zion and it's going to be drenched with God's presence. And there he, he concludes, he says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. God has set in place a principle. When God's people get together in unity, worshiping him, he has commanded a blessing, even life forevermore. Supernatural, eternal life is released. Isn't that a beautiful picture? One other scripture comes from John 17. Jesus is praying just before he dies to the Father. And he says, I do not pray for these alone, for my 12 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He was praying for you and I, friend. And he says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. Can you see that amazing picture? And Jesus stresses it and you can almost feel the words tumbling out of Jesus' mouth when he's praying, Lord, make them one, make them one. May they be unified just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. They're separate, but they are one. They are in each other. They are of each other. And he says, then the world will know that Jesus has been sent by God and there will be glory given. It's just the most amazing thing um, that the glory that you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one and that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Friends, when we get together in unity, God is pleased, but something supernatural happens. There is a, a unity in the spirit. There is a threefold cord. God does something supernatural and wonderful things happen. Can I challenge you, my friend? Are you meeting together with other believers? And are you one with them? Are you 
close to them? Is there a unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace? Now, I'd like to spend a few moments just telling you about an amazing thing called covenant. Covenant is when two people get together and they commit to one another and God, they invoke God's power. They involve God in the, in the agreement. It can also be a covenant between a person or a people and God himself. So there are God-human covenants and there are human-human covenants. But the thing that is in common with all covenants is we are involving and and asking for Holy Spirit involvement and Holy Spirit power. So there are many covenants in the Bible. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve and with the human race in Genesis 1. Then the flood happened and in Genesis 9, God renews the covenant with Noah and he says, I'm going to put the rainbow in the sky every time it rains to remind you and to remind me of my covenant that I will never destroy the earth again with a flood. And seed time and harvest, day and night, Winter and summer will remain until the end of the world. It's a beautiful covenant. He says this will always be. I'll never destroy the world again with a flood. And then in Genesis 12 and 15 and in various other verses, he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And nations will come from you. Um, it's, it's just a, the most beautiful covenant. And he reminds Abraham, that he's giving him the land, that he's giving him descendants, and that he's blessing him, that he's a shield and a reward for Abraham. Just a beautiful covenant. Um, there was a cutting of animals and a sacrifice made, and Abraham fell into a deep trance. He, it, he was unconscious, and God was speaking to him, and a covenant was made that lasts forever. It's an eternal everlasting covenant. God also made a covenant with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. If you obey these commandments, then this blessing will happen. If you don't, then these curses will come upon you. Uh, and that is another covenant that God made with Israel. Then there is a new covenant spoken of in Jeremiah 31 and again repeated in Hebrews 8 and various other places. Uh, in Isaiah 54, God says, this is my covenant of peace, just like with the waters of Noah, where I said I would never destroy the earth again. I will never be angry with you again. Uh, this is my covenant of peace with you. And the new covenant is Jesus' blood paying for our sins and him bringing us into his family, forgiving us, writing his laws on our hearts and on our minds and making us a new people. But there are some covenants with people where God got involved. And I'm just going to mention three of them today. The first is in Joshua chapter 9 and in verse 3 it says, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan, 
who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for your journey and go to meet with them and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Uh, they go on and on trying to convince the Israelites that they are not from the promised land. They're from another land. And they say, please make a covenant with us that we will look after each other, that you will defend us. You will have peace with us. We will be brothers with you. And it goes on to say that Joshua didn't ask the Lord's advice. He made a covenant. The Israelites made a covenant with the Gibeonites to protect them. And then they discovered that the Gibeonites were actually from very close from the promised land, that they should have been destroyed. But because of the covenant, they were now bound to protect them and to look after them. And in the next chapter, chapter 10 of Joshua, five kings attack the Gibeonites, five other Philistine kings from the nations around attack the Gibeonites. And Joshua and the children of Israel go to protect the Gibeonites. And God causes hailstones to to fall out of the sky, to kill the enemies of the Gibeonites. And then when they still couldn't fully finish the fight, God made the sun stand still for a whole day so that Joshua and the children of Israel could defend the Gibeonites. Now, I just want to make this clear to you. The Gibeonites had deceived the Israelites. They were part of the, the people that Joshua should have been wiping out. They had tricked them. They had not acted honorably. But because Joshua made a covenant and the children of Israel made a covenant, they invoked God's help and power. And they said, we promise to protect you. God says, I will honor this covenant. Not only that, I will send hailstones from heaven and I will stop the sun from moving for a whole day just to protect and look after this covenant. And 430 years later in 2 Samuel 21, David is king. 430 years later, there's been a, a drought for three years. He says, Lord, why is there a drought? Let me just read you this passage because it's so powerful. Now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. You see, 430 years later, Saul the king before David decides to kill the Gibeonites and there is a, a drought and a famine for three years. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. David calls the Gibeonites in and he apologizes to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and with what shall I make atonement, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? David says to the Gibeonites, What can I do? And they said, Give us seven of Saul's sons and kill them, so that we can then say this is done and forgiven. And then the famine was broken, because God looks after and watches after and enforces and blesses and protects and releases his power for a covenant even 430 years later. Isn't that amazing? The only son of Saul that David did not agree to allow to be killed was a little boy called Mephibosheth in verse 7 it says, But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. 
So David had made a covenant with a man called Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. Let's just look at that. And it says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the, son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David and Jonathan loved each other as brothers. They made a covenant where they involved the Lord. They shared each other's goods and armor and protection. They said, what's mine is yours and I will protect you and your family. And that's why David wouldn't allow Jonathan's son Mephibosheth to be harmed even years later. But it's interesting to say that their souls were knit together. You see, in Genesis chapter 2, when God gave Adam a wife called Eve, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And it then goes on to say, therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That's talking of covenant. And the two will become one flesh. That says they become one flesh. In 1 Samuel 18, it says that David and Jonathan became one soul when they made a covenant. And the last example I want to give you is in Malachi chapter 2, where it shows that it's not just flesh and soul, but it's also spirit. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14, God is explaining to the children of Israel why their prayers are not being answered. And it says, you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God says it's because you're treating your wife badly and there's a covenant between you and your wife. Let's read on what he says. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? Notice spirit. Why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord... God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. The ESV version, the English Standard Version, says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? They've been made one in spirit. So Genesis 2 says they're one flesh. Uh, 1 Samuel 18 says a covenant makes you one soul. And in Malachi chapter 2, it says when you make a covenant, especially with a husband and wife, you become one in spirit. This is the threefold cord. This is where we get bound together with the Lord. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because, friend, number one, when you make covenants, when you have a union, the unity of the spirit with God's people. God says, I will fight to protect that union. And that's why he says we should fight for it too. He says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Secondly, know that God's spirit is there. And when we get together with other believers, all sorts of power is released because God loves when people get together in unity for him. But thirdly, I want to show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I don't have long 
to go through this, so I'm going to try and cover it quickly. I'll read the whole passage just to give you the context. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So he says your body is united to Christ. Somehow, because you made a covenant with the Lord, your body is united to Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. So he says when you sleep with someone who is not your spouse, that you sin against your body. He goes on later to say, every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but sexual immorality is inside his body. We're doing something where we're uniting our body with someone else who's not our spouse. But he says, you're also uniting Christ's body with someone who's not of the Lord. It's, it's quite a strong thing. But then he says in verse 17, and this is the verse I want you to see, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. When we join ourselves to the Lord, that's that same word, cleave, make a covenant, where I say, Lord, I love you, I want to honor you, I give my life to you, I serve you, I receive the blood of Jesus for my sins. He says, your spirit and God's spirit mysteriously somehow become one, they get united. It's not just that you get a, a little bit of God's spirit in you, your spirit, which was dead because of sin, is made alive, but his spirit and your spirit become the same. And that's why we as charismatic Christians, talk about having God's power within us. We've been criticized by some who don't believe in the fullness of the Spirit as saying that we are claiming to be God. We're saying we are gods because we have God's nature in us. We're not claiming to be God. We're saying God, by His kindness, has put His Spirit in me. He's made me alive and He's changed my spirit so that His Spirit and my spirit become one. And that's why the Bible can say, some astounding things about me as a believer. It says I'm a brand new creation. My body is not a new creation. My thoughts are still all sorts of weird thoughts. It's my spirit that is a new creation. It's like God, Ephesians 4.24, like God in true holiness and righteousness. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 also says that I have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My body and thoughts are still the same as they ever used to be, but my spirit is the righteousness of God because God's spirit and my spirit have been united. There's a, a cord, a, a tie that's binding me to the Lord, and I have His power in me. There are many other verses that talk about me being seated in heavenly places with Christ right now before I die. What is that speaking of? It's saying that my spirit is somehow united to the Lord. We're not saying we are God or we are little gods. We're saying that God, by His kindness, has put His Spirit in us, changed us, made us righteous, made us holy, made us acceptable. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says we've been made perfect forever. I'm not perfect in myself, but His Spirit in me is perfect, and His Spirit and my Spirit are now one. So friend, there is a threefold chord. When God gets involved in a union, in a unity, there is something supernatural released. The first thing you need to do is become one with the Lord. Join yourself to the Lord. Say, Lord, fill me, forgive me, cleanse me, make me your child, make me brand new. And he comes in and joins with your spirit. 1 John chapter 5 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot, in other words, God the Father, also loves him who is begotten of him. In other words, we love other Christians. We are united in the Spirit. There is a threefold cord because God's Spirit is in you just as He is in me. 
and we are united, but we still endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friend who maybe doesn't know you yet, Lord, that you would help them to echo this prayer and to pray this prayer with me now. Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I'm sorry for my sins. I see you dying and shedding your blood for me, and I receive it, and I say, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Please come in right now and make me brand new. Make me a new creation on the inside. Put your spirit in me and bind me to yourself. And Lord, now I choose to be united to other believers and to involve you in all the relationships that I have. And Lord, I pray now for those relationships that are difficult. I pray that you would get involved and you would move heaven and earth, that you would even stop time or do whatever you have to do, like you did in Joshua's day, where you sent hailstones and you stopped the sun from moving. I pray, Lord, that you would send your power to enforce and help and strengthen these relationships that we have. And Lord, we give our church to you and our small groups and our meetings. And we pray, fill them with your blessing, with your power, with your presence, Lord. We pray that this threefold cord that is not easily broken would be a daily and a weekly part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for watching. Please respond to this message by asking the Lord how he wants to change your life as a result of what you have heard. And if you have been blessed by this teaching, please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com.